Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Transforming Trauma. I'm Eve. In my day job as a clinical social worker, it's all about problem solving and supporting people through major life transitions. I am driven by my belief in the healing power of our relationships with each other and with caring professionals. On this show, you'll hear from many colleagues and courageous trauma survivors who have chosen to share their stories of recovery. They believe, just as I do, that it's time for a new narrative about sexual violence that does not require survivors to perform victimhood. Our hope is that sharing their stories will be helpful to you, the listener. We've often changed their names and taken steps to make sure they feel protected. I'm humbled by the opportunity to host them and hope you'll hear yourself in these conversations and realize you're not as alone in the struggle. Maybe it'll inspire you to connect with someone you love about your own recovery. Transforming Trauma is presented in partnership with Rachel Grant Coaching, and more resources can be found at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Now on to the show. I'm your host, Eve, and I'm very excited to have Emmy with me, who will be sharing with us about her journey as a trauma survivor. Um, First, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Emmy. Emmy's a trauma educator who helps survivors own their truth, reject shame, and believe that healing is possible. She is a writer, speaker, and leader of the Blooming Forward community on Instagram where over 10,000 people across the globe come together to learn, connect, and grow. Emmy is a survivor of verbal, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse from her three-year-long relationship with a narcissist. Um, A quote that I wanted to share from Emmy is that one of her goals of her platform and future as a healing presence in the world is to help survivors realize the shame they feel is the voice of the abuser or oppressive system they've survived living within them, that the shame is a lie, that they deserve healing. And with that, I am beyond grateful to speak with Emmy today. Yay, thank you. That was lovely. (laughs) It's fun to be introduced. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yeah, so thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. So we just got to chat for like 20 minutes, which was super nice because Emmy and I are are new to knowing each other beyond social media and the podcast. Um, Yeah. So do you want to share how you like discovered Transforming Trauma before we... Yeah. Yes, I would love to. So this was very exciting to be offered to be on this podcast because... In early or like late 2017, so almost you know two and a half years ago, um, I was on the hunt for trauma resources and feeling like there weren't really many um, as far as podcasts and social media, and I didn't even really know a lot of the books, and so I was just searching um, Apple Podcasts. And Transforming Trauma and the Rachel Grant podcast was one of the only ones that I could find. And it was awesome and totally like started my journey as far as kind of like survivorhood. Um, And I was already, you know, 
I had begun therapy for PTSD, but I don't know. It was just a different, it was a different experience to hear survivors sharing their stories and talking about kind of transformation instead of just like healing or, you know, like a mental illness. It was more of like a transformative, like soul work kind of thing. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> I'll obviously share your blog and your Instagram handle with cool. your show notes. Um, but it's so powerful to read your writings about post-traumatic growth, which is a term that unfortunately I went most of my recovery not knowing existed, which is, you know, I don't think the field of positive psychology is that, that new. Um, yeah. Striking that, that that would be a term most survivors aren't aware of. Yeah, totally. And I, I don't even really know a whole lot about post-traumatic growth. It just totally like resonates with me, just those words. It's like, you know, instead of post-traumatic stress disorder, it's like that and what are you going to make from it? Um, how are you going to grow? So I really like that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> you reminded me of something I wanted to, to name, which is that mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure folks who are listening might resonate with a lot of what we're talking about, but also just to remind ourselves and everyone that we all heal differently and yeah. not everyone does connect with that term and uh, yeah, everyone absolutely. has different stories. So I know that yeah, it's excited to hear what, what's helped you get to this point of being able to talk openly. It's, it's such a privilege. So with that, I'd love to start a little lightning round. Um, yes. My version of that is <laughs> you first, what's something that's been an inspiration to you lately? Yeah, so right now I'm reading the book Women Who Run With the Wolves by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, and it is so amazing, and I know a lot of people have read it. It's been, it was on the New York Times bestseller list um, for like multiple years. It's from the 90s, but she basically takes like ancient myths and stories and analyzes them through the lens of like returning to the wild woman, which is not like wild, like um crazy or something but wild like instinctual nature um and i've always really resonated with like wolves and loyalty and devotion and strength that they kind of symbolize so i just feel like it's really speaking to me um and just kind of like helping me find ways to really get back to my intuition which i think that trauma certainly cut me off from but also I didn't really have a strong relationship to intuition before it happened. But now it's like, I have a whole new framework for looking at intuition and instinctual nature. So highly recommend that book. Um, It's definitely definitely written for women. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things I always laugh. Like once I've heard a recommendation three times, then I'll look or listen to that podcast. So thank you. Same. So it's time. Yeah. Multiple people have said that to me this week as I've been posting about it. And I was the same way before I bought it and read like I'm reading it too. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> On the topic of intuition, we weren't planning to record by video, but I've been self oh, yeah. here in my first pandemic. Um, yeah. Ray Brown coined um, it is our first pandemic. So I think we have to give ourselves permission to, I was a little last minute in suggesting, can we do video? It's just so nice. Yeah. And, connect face to face when I think we're feeling more isolated than, than ever before and totally appreciate the intuitive yeah. kind of yes that that came I think from both of us today yeah it, it gave me a opportunity to like get dressed a little bit and like yeah. try you know <laughs> it's nice I love that. yeah I haven't yeah. worn earrings in like a long time I thought <laughs> yeah. my holes closed up <laughs> yeah nice oh feeling fresh <laughs> So, number two, what's a common myth for me that you'd like to dispel? Yeah, so something that's been on my mind a lot recently is the myth um, that kind of it's a choice to dwell on the past. And this is framed often from the lens of like mindfulness of like only the present is real, um, which I believe is true however if once you understand how trauma works you realize that the past lives on in the present when you have post-traumatic stress so i think a lot of these statements of like um 
focus on the now only or like positive vibes only like don't focus on the pain and you'll be healed they come from this intention of wanting to set people free but and that might work for people that don't have post-traumatic stress disorder or another form of something trauma baggage whatever but if you're kind of struggling with the past haunting you all the time like that's just gonna make you feel worse I think it makes me feel worse um, when someone's basically saying get over it we don't want to hear about it focus on the present so I just want to let people know that you know if they hear things like that and feel bad about themselves that they are not able to let it go um, nothing's wrong with you and you know you don't you don't have to let it go you're you can you can be safe with your experience that you're having um yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah you and i were talking a bit about that in terms of like sometimes our tendency to smile when we're talking about difficult things yeah. and to me it reminds me of for those who have had childhood trauma and other types mm -hmm. of trauma um just this invisibilizing of our, our experience of denial the scapegoating, mm -hmm. gaslighting um, yeah, survival mechanism to to move on and keep on keeping on, and it's right. super triggering to tell anyone, "Oh, you're so great. You should put that in the past. Look at all the good things you're doing." Or um, oh, whatever. Yes, I'm sure we we can think of a dozen examples of ways in which our society has mm -hmm. told us that we should move on. Right. Exactly. And. Yeah, that's a good thing to note is if you're watching this, I definitely might smile a lot when I'm talking about things that are really hard. Um, and it's not because I no longer feel pain from them. It's just kind of like a, a zone I get into to in order to talk about these hard experiences, I kind of dissociate from the emotions a little bit um, and end up smiling. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm like happy about it. So <laughs> just a disclaimer. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. We yeah have an intention to be to be open and radically honest um during mm -hmm. this episode i think it's more important now than than ever to really yeah speak from our hearts and, and be real and this performing trauma business it's real it yeah is, it is so real <laughs> ongoing work and it doesn't have a linear trajectory so i love that yeah feeling is not linear i don't think there could be anything more true for me Yes, I've repeated that to myself countless times. <laughs> I wrote it down a lot. <laughs> Healing is not linear. So, will you share with us about your journey and, and where you're at today? And I, I have a couple yeah. questions after that, so I'd love to start there. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, um, as mentioned in the in uh, intro, my trauma, my big trauma, stems from a three-year-long abusive relationship. I had from age 15 to 18. So kind of this weird place in between childhood and adult codependency abuse and like childhood abuse. Um, and it's like, you know, teen dating violence pretty much. And it was a very stereotypical narcissist, narcissistic abusive relationship that basically began with lots of like love bombing and um that i was incredibly receptive of and i was just like a very very anxious attached person um which basically means i was seeking affirmation from someone else and someone to um make me feel worthy and make me feel loved and i didn't have the skills to find that within um so he definitely I think saw that and I became you know the perfect target essentially and yeah so as pretty typical with abusive relationships it started um, slowly and I think there's a big misconception with people that have never been in abusive relationships that the abuse is really loud right away and it's really obvious and it's just kind of not how it works um, in my experience it is very slow onset. And for me, it started with a lot of um, kind of little methods of control and making sure I was always available to talk. And that being some form of like love is like, oh, you always need to talk to me. Um, and just basically not having my own personal space or really privacy. 
and lots of like coercion and manipulation to get me to like break the rules and like sneak around and lie to my parents um and just basically do things that I wasn't uncomfortable I was not comfortable with but I thought oh like he would make me feel like it's cool or like I'm I'm a big baby if I didn't want to like break the rules um and I couldn't see it as like someone was taking advantage of me or trying to manipulate me. I just thought like, oh yeah, I am just this weak little girl. Like I need to do cool things. And, you know, over time, the emotional abuse really escalated to being like gaslit, um, which for people who aren't familiar, gaslighting is when someone makes you basically question the nature of your reality and like if you kind of react to them calling you names they're like oh I never said that or like oh you need to get over it like it's not a big deal and basically deny your reality exists um and it sounds crazy because it is <laughs> but it's very scary and it's it's basically a form of brainwashing so it got to that level where I I really thought I had a mental illness of some kind that made me really depressed really anxious all the time while this guy was constantly calling me names, um, bringing me down, ridiculing everything I did. I was like, oh, it's my fault. Like, I'm the one that's bringing this about. If I could just be better, he would stop. Um, yeah, and it's really, you know, it's hard to summarize this, but I, I want to kind of hit, like, all the different kinds. So that was some of, like, the emotional abuse that basically got my self-worth to zero. Like, I thought I was just completely worthless as a human. And I thought everything he said was true. Um, and then, yeah, there was lots of like sexual abuse, which took me a while after the relationship ended to name, because I think growing up, at least for me, and probably a lot of people relate to this, I never knew what consent was. Um, the only sex ed we got was, you know, wear a condom or don't have sex. There was no like how to navigate the emotional realm of sex. Like there was none of that. And I know some people might get that from, you know, church groups or other organizations or something, but like just the public school system didn't have any of that. So basically like he just, he got me to do lots of things sexually that I was very uncomfortable with. Um, and including just like losing my virginity within three months of dating when I was 15 uh, after we'd barely kissed before, you know, so stuff like that where it's like, I wasn't ready. I wasn't interested, but it was just what you did. Like, I just thought to be a good girlfriend, you did things you didn't want to do. Um, and I thought it was normal to have to have sex with your boyfriend every time you saw each other and hide from your parents in the basement and, I just over time really associated sex with fear and pain, but I told everyone or I made, oh my friends, I made it seem like I was very cool and mature and had this like wild life that no one knew about, or, you know, my friends knew about, but it was like, I don't know. It's just like this deep denial. So I think that's why when it ended, I didn't really understand it was sexual abuse because I thought I was into it. You know, I was like, oh, I bragged about that. I thought it was really cool. But you felt to the like heart, you felt like it was from a sense of an empowered Yes, woman. right. But it's like, if you're in an empowered position, you're not going to associate sex with fear and pain and dissociation. So it's really just an interesting way to see how, like, your mind will create a story to help you survive. That story being, this is cool and we like this when your whole body, emotions, soul, heart, everything is being crushed. Your mind can keep you alive by acting like we like this. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna do justice to like the yeah. concept, but it's so profound and poignant to me that we internalize the badness and keep the user as good. Um, yes. You're saying that kind of outwardly, you weren't completely kind of conscious of it all, but that you wanted to preserve this goodness. Yes. You know, rather than, but, but, That's so, but internally it was like alienation and, and shame. And yes. It's hard to put into words. I really so I'm feeling what you're saying. And it really, it's so powerful to hear as we were kind of saying before the call. Um, just if most of our conversations with survivors are on social media or not kind of face to face, we don't always discover, we don't always share the details. So I really honor like 
how transformative it is for, for me and other listeners to hear you sharing vulnerably about these details that they are specific to our stories, but they're also universal. They're very universal. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. And I think that kind of internalizing the badness and keeping them as good for me leaked into every part of our relationship. And I've never actually thought about it that way, that directly is that I, it's like a survival mechanism. And this is like a thing about complex trauma is like, you don't think it's possible to escape. So therefore you have to figure out a way to survive. So a way to survive could be your mind is going to defend this abuser to the end of the earth and to defend it to yourself, defend them to everyone you know. And for me, the big story was, well, he loves me. Like he's the only one that will ever love me. Like, so that means that he is, you know, he's a deeply troubled person. Like, and he was in and out of jail, addicted to all sorts of drugs and everything. So he had his own stuff going on. And I just thought, you know, he's a wounded person that needs me and I need to help him because we are soulmates. And it's just that like, intense trauma bond so I would take all of the badness all of the abuse and just put it in me and do my absolute best to not let anyone see it um yeah so that's do you want to break down what a trauma bond is for those who haven't heard yeah sure yeah so trauma bonds and I'm not you know this isn't like a dictionary definition but it's kind of like this you perceive that this person is like the only one for you or like you are meant to be together. And it's based on these like really unhealthy dynamics of like they, you need them to save you or you need to save them. Some, it's not mutual respect. It's not mutual care. It's like this compulsive need to be with them. Even when you're feeling um, bad in their presence or like when they make you feel bad about yourself, you just think, oh, I need them. And I don't know, maybe that's more of like my specific definition, but yeah, it was definitely a trauma bond, not true love as I thought it would be. Uh, And it was extremely powerful. So yeah, but. um, I know I kind of took you away from the different types of abuse. Did you want to say more? Yeah, um, I feel like, yeah, so I hit emotional, sexual, and then a lot of the verbal abuse was slow, slowly delivered. And it started with like, you know, just making fun of my hobbies and passions and interests. And then over time, he basically got it in his head that I was cheating on him. And it's because he was in jail and suddenly didn't, couldn't monitor everything I did. So he just had this idea that I cheated on him. And I thought, you know, if I just defend myself, I will prove to him somehow that I didn't because I was terrified to even talk to other guys, basically, because he was so scary. Um, So it ended up with him, like, searching through all my phone records and constantly having all my passwords and everything, uh, trying to prove, trying to prove that I did it. And I'm trying to prove that I didn't. And basically, it just led to him constantly calling me, like, you know, whore, bitch, slut. Yeah, sorry if these words are graphic. Um, There's a whole lot more. But just, like, tons of verbal abuse like that. And it was just horribly painful. And I don't think people that have not – maybe people that haven't survived abuse might not understand how painful verbal abuse is. And it just, like, cuts like a knife, especially when – you're told constantly how much this person loves you and you really believe it. And I think people that have experienced childhood trauma will really understand this too, is like, you think it's because those things are true and, you know, it hurts so much. Yeah. So basically my point is that verbal abuse is horrible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then as far as physical abuse, like that's basically all I thought abuse was, was like hitting and, um, you know, kind of the stereotypical like domestic violence thing that we're taught about and over time I've learned more that physical abuse isn't just like one-on-one violence it can also be um like restraining someone like holding someone down keeping from them from leaving a room or forcing yourself to like 
basically not letting them escape a situation, which happened all the time. And I learned that maybe like two years ago and all this happened seven plus years ago. So I just wanted to put that out there is like, and you know, for some people naming the abuse might not matter, but for me, it really helps me to see like, this was real. You know, I didn't just make this up. It isn't all just emotions or something like there was this physical dominance as well that really, I think, made a lot of my trauma symptoms kind of manifest is like that feeling of never being safe, never being free. Right. Um, so that's kind of my journey within the relationship. Yeah. And, and then, you mentioned the anxious attachment and kind of linked mm-hmm. childhood trauma. And I, I feel like in terms of like meaning making of that aspect of vulnerability that you brought that kind of lent or made you somewhat feel like a target um, for this abusive narcissistic person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think a lot about like complex trauma in relation to sort of your, your larger journey? Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you asking more about how how it came to be because of my anxious attachment or are you talking about now after what happened? Um, I guess what I had in mind was just how a lot of people who experience um, domestic violence or all all kinds of abuse later in life often have histories of childhood trauma and I'm part of like a a speaker's bureau and I was shocked to learn that like hardly anyone speaks about childhood trauma even though most of them gotcha so I was struck by your mentioning that because I didn't I didn't know that Gotcha. Yeah. So gotcha. Yeah. So I have, I did not personally experience childhood trauma. I just want to make that clear, Mm -hmm. but I do like, I think since my abusive relationship, I was still pretty much a child. Like I was 15, Mm -hmm. like my brain wasn't fully developed. I had like just gotten my period, you know, I was basically a child. So, um, after it ended, there is this, like, if you don't process what happened, which I didn't at all, like, I completely ran from it. And I talk about this a lot, is, like, my whole thing was escape, and, like, I'm never going to feel that again, which makes so much sense. Like, it was so awful that once it was over, I was like, nope, I'm done. And basically what happens, I think, for a lot of people and for me is you repeat the cycles that feel the most familiar to you. So if that is someone is abusive you might very well repeat that by attracting another abusive partner. And it's not because anything's like wrong with you or you deserve it at at all. It's just like, that's what is familiar to you. And you might get in a relationship or you might like be approached by someone that is genuinely like really kind hearted and caring. And that might feel terrifying because you can't sense their intentions. You can't get a read on them. You're not really like on the same frequency as them almost, or like you're, you're not on the same nervous system state. So it's almost easier to be with someone that's dysfunctional and might lead to another abusive relationship. So I think that's what it kind of happens a lot is if you are, if you do have childhood trauma, you're kind of set up to have that low sense of worth and then attract someone that's going to reaffirm that. Um, so that yeah, that, well said. that was so well Thank said. You. Thank like you. I can't believe you aren't already a public, public speaker. <laughs> you have Thank a, you. I'm working on it. <laughs> What, I really appreciate that. What sorts of practices have been healing for you? I'm, I'm excited to know that Tara Barak is one of your... Totally, yeah. She is one of mine as well. Oh, I love her. Yeah, so Tara Brock is a meditation teacher, mindfulness leader, and also a, a psychotherapist, which is just like the dream to me because I'm like, I love spirituality stuff. I love psychology and so she gets it but basically I used to really gravitate towards mindfulness when I was starting to find my healing practices about two years ago and I read like the power of now which is a great book but it's very cut and dry of like the now is all that exists which is kind of what I was talking about earlier and I think for a lot of people that's really helpful but for me it kind of like was this nice thought to have but I couldn't actually implement it so Tara Brock's practice of radical acceptance that I, just, I read the book about, um, it's called Radical Acceptance. She talks about adding compassion to mindfulness. So basically when you have like really strong emotions come up or thoughts, 
being mindful means to be aware of them and to not identify with them as much as you can to kind of see, you know, I'm feeling a lot of fear right now. I'm aware of that. And depending on how much work you've done, you might be aware of even why, like, oh, I'm triggered because of this. And even if you can't sense why, once you start learning more about trauma, you can sense, oh, I'm triggered. You know, my nervous system's increasing and I'm mobilized. So you can be mindful of it, but without compassion, it's kind of like, yeah, I know this exists. Now, what do you want from me? Um, So the compassion piece is kind of looking at that symptom or emotion or thought with the lens of, it's okay that you're here. Um, It's not my fault that this is happening. Like it's compassion for yourself. And for me, it's a lot of compassion for my body and how I view is that my body is doing everything it can to take care of me. And sometimes that is triggers and fears that really don't serve me and actually hold me back from, you know, what I really want to be doing. But I try to view it with compassion instead of resistance or hate, you know, because there's a lot of like self-hatred I've experienced of what's wrong with me? Why am I not normal? And instead viewing it as it's okay that this is here. Maybe I can sit with it and let it be here, see what it needs to say, and just kind of send love towards it as counterintuitive as I might seem to like send love towards shame or something. But it's more of this way of like, thank you for trying to protect me. I'm good. Like, I know I'm safe. You know, coming back to affirmations of like, I know the future or like, you know, the present is different. So... Basically, just come, yeah, I try to practice those things a lot. Um, yeah, I just, I know that the topic of forgiveness for most uh, trauma survivors, especially complex trauma, yeah, super charged and complex. So we won't yeah. go into that entirely for this conversation, but I, I did notice the compassion you sort of used and described, or you had describing your perpetrator. Um, mm. I think you called him an, an abuser, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Just in terms of, the range of emotions I, th- I think when I think of mindfulness I think of like allowing anger like I didn't actually feel angry for a long time yeah and so then to, yes to see that self-hatred and anger like, yeah released into like where it belongs and being okay with so that. true like, you don't have to be so like, true good nice women all the time that it's okay to yes be angry about something yeah. totally not okay yeah happens, you know Yes, that is so liberating to just realize, like, it's okay to be angry. And yeah, I actually just posted something about that I got from women who run with the wolves that I'm kind of learning right now is you don't have to be nice. And we're kind of taught to be nice all the time, especially as women. And that's not even the same as kindness. It's like just this universal niceness that you're going to show to people even that you don't respect or agree with. Mm -hmm. And basically that just leads you right into the arms of the first person that knows how to take advantage of your niceness. So kind of like reclaiming our ability to fight back and stand up and be angry. And a lot of people commented on that and they're like, yeah, I I really resonate with that anger and so much of it is towards myself. And, you know, even that is valid to feel angry towards yourself. But I do think for me, at least, it is like this kind of misguided attempt at like, it's too scary to be angry at the abuser almost, even if it's, you know, for me, it's over seven years ago and it's still terrifying for me to imagine really standing up to him. And it's so much easier to just get mad at myself. So just kind of, that's almost a thing to be mindful of and be like, okay, why, like, what is this anger really about? And, you know, for me, I let it go by writing and just like writing my heart out. And I know some people, you know, will burn the note or something. Um, But just finding ways to let yourself release your emotions is definitely a big practice for me. So, yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I know that's a little segue. Um, I mean, you've already started to speak a lot about how your past influences who you are today, including Mm -hmm. practices, which I'm sure you've collected a lot of different resources and practices, especially in the spiritual realm. So I'll have to have you come again and we can dive in. (laughs) Super excited to to talk more about Tara and and other practices. Um, But for the sake of today's conversation, how would you describe how your past influences the work and mission you have in the world? Yeah. Yeah. So, one of the biggest things that kind of started 
blooming forward or just having a mission at all is I heard the phrase somewhere, um, be the person you needed back then. So for me, when I was coming out of the relationship or in the relationship or three years after the relationship and finally understood that I had trauma, um, who did I need then? And that's just like a constant reference point. And I know a lot of business people that I know, like I see on Instagram, they talk about their ideal client avatar is who you need to speak to. And for me, it's almost like who I write for is my inner child or my inner, my, it's for me, it's my inner teenager or my inner 20 year old or whatever. But I like have this very strong connection to her, me, <laughs> stronger than almost I can figure myself out now or like actually remember really details of my life is like, I know what she felt like. And me at the time in the past, like I felt like no one was talking about trauma um, I couldn't, you know, I found your podcast, which was awesome. But, you know, years before that, it's like, I didn't even know trauma existed. I remember two and a half years into that relationship, finally Googling what is an abusive relationship. And yeah, every, it was every single thing on the Google sheet or whatever was true. So it took me that long to even know what an abusive relationship was. And it's because no one is talking about it. And I think now people are talking about consent at least a lot more, which is awesome. But I just really want to be a voice for people that need to know that like this stuff isn't okay. And then also I try to just be a voice that if you've experienced trauma of any kind, um, there is hope you know, and I be, I'm really vulnerable on there. I've shared a lot of my kind of like darker thoughts, um, or my, my struggles and my symptoms, but I have gotten to a place through my own therapeutic journey and self-work that's taken years to feel generally safe every day. And I just want to go back to myself three years ago and just like, and whoever is at that stage and just be like, it is possible. And one day you will feel safe again. Um, and there is hope to be had. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. And I mean, safety is something that's so basic, like our basic right. need and something I find that most people who haven't experienced trauma don't seem to get in terms of our recovery. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, right, right now, I haven't truthfully read all the articles that I've been seeing about domestic violence rates, but I know um, yeah. that it's really bad. And yeah, uh, just just even if you're not in high risk categories or um, you know on the front lines, uh, you, my experience and maybe yours of, of perceived safety or what we need mm -hmm. to feel safe, it is an everyday process to manage symptoms of, of PTSD or. Um, yeah. I don't know if you want to speak to that or I also sure. to mention I'd seen somebody post about kind of wanting to be available for those people in domestic violent relationships right now. And I wondered what you, you thought. So the person posted a, a PSA. If you're stuck in isolation with someone abusive, message me asking if I'm still selling my makeup and I'll know you're to keep checking in. Ask specifically eyeliner and ask me to ship it to your address and I'll contact authorities for you for real and message me. And this That's is so cool. I really respect and a couple of people really liked it. And then someone else said, I don't get it. And I was curious, like what, wow. You think it's cool? I think that's so cool. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously how likely are people to actually do that? I'm not sure, but I think that's incredible. And I think that's kind of, um, I don't know who posted that, but for me, it seems like that's some amazing work that an ally or a very healed survivor could do. Uh, like for me, I almost think that would be true triggering for me personally to do is to get myself involved in that. Um, I'm more of kind of like, I will reference you to a crisis helpline. But if someone does like is not a survivor, doesn't have PTSD, is just like an ally and really cares and wants to help, I think that's like, that's awesome. Like that's amazing because that's a way of you using your privilege as like a mentally well or just not traumatized person to like advocate and like help um, intervene in something that is, you know, violent and devastating. Yeah, so really. that's awesome. Cool. And yeah, it's actually like, I, you know, I've had to kind of distance myself from a lot of uh, the news in general and yeah I'm aware of the 
you know, domestic violence numbers are going up right now. But in order for me to kind of keep doing the work I'm doing, I have to like, you know, have boundaries of the information I consume. Because although I have come a long way, I'm, I do get triggered by things. And like, that feeling of unsafety is something I really have to protect and nurture um, in order for me to keep healing and therefore yes. ripple out and help others. Yeah, thank you for, so. for saying that and naming that. Yeah. I think a lot of us. Yeah. Can, um, yeah. So I was also going to ask, in terms of the transformation that you've experienced and continued to yeah. experience, do you have like trauma anniversaries? Or I know you've talked about that recently, and I'd love to hear yeah. what it looks like for you. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to talk about that. Um, yeah, so March 11th is this day I celebrate that it was the day I left my abuser. And in reality, I don't know the date because I didn't have like a solid journaling practice or any way of recording it. Um, and my memory is shot <laughs> like a bit. You know, I remember the week and I remember general what generally what happened. And I remember how I felt, but I don't remember like the day. Anyways, but I declared at 3.11 to the best of my ability. That was the day that stuck out. So I try to celebrate it because leaving that relationship changed everything in my life. Um, and that's, that's the person, that's the version of me I look to for strength and power is like the girl that did that. And from that dark, like I was just completely suicidal and anxious and depressed all the time. And yet I managed to cut the cord and leave. And like, that's just you know, completely inspiring to me. Um, as if any time I read another survivor story, I feel the same, but anyways, so I, you know, I want to commemorate her and celebrate her. And so 311 is my day for that. But often when that day comes, I am met with a lot of grief and a lot of, I don't feel happy, <laughs> you know, even though it's a happy occasion, I usually feel the weight of all that happened kind of sitting a little closer. And this year I tried to just not expect myself to be happy like I did the years before and just be like, inner child, inner teen, what's up? You know, what do you want to do today? Do you want to just be sad? That's totally okay. And like, it sounds so simple, but that is like some of been, been some of my most revolutionary work is just being okay with what is which is so radical acceptance, you know, being okay with what is, being compassionate with what is, instead of trying to force yourself into emotions that you don't feel. So that's my trauma anniversary um, of a good one. You know, that's a good day. And then I also have, you know, a lot of like actually like holidays or my birthday remind me, like I'll just be triggered on those days and I won't really know why, but I think it's just because since everyone has this collective celebration energy, if you're suffering at that time, you feel worse. So I think I have that a little bit in my subconscious is like, like, especially the holidays, like Christmas and stuff, I usually feel really down and I have no idea why. And I think it's just, everyone's so happy. And like, I was this depressed teenager. Yeah, um, that's so, so real. And I yeah. often think of people celebrating recovery milestones. Yeah. Like addiction and of course, yeah. Mutually exclusive types of recovery, but it's really mm -hmm. refreshing and empowering to hear about you reclaiming, like yeah. trauma anniversary is, and acknowledge yeah. that there are times of the year and maybe milestones yeah. and moments which are impacted by by trauma and the grief that a yeah. lot of folks who don't know trauma don't get what the association is between grief. But like you said, mm -hmm. you were like a young a young person. You were yeah. you were in this horribly abusive relationship during like a time when you were developing your, your brain yeah. and yourself and um, now, yeah. now like you were saying being vulnerable to other things in your adulthood and other maybe relationships that weren't what you deserved or what other survivors deserved mm -hmm. um, there, are, there are lots of losses and chunks of yeah. time so there's obviously yeah. a lot to celebrate and you are just completely extraordinary and <laughs> I am like so grateful to have <laughs> you. Um, is there anything else you want to share about transforming trauma or, or your work in the world that you might not have touched on yet, which is I'm sure a lot. 
Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I guess in closing, like just the transforming trauma, um, concept I love and it's definitely something that is like a guiding kind of principle for me is how am I going to take what happened to me and transform it into something good and I know if people don't resonate with that that's okay and I never want to force that on anyone to like make something beautiful of what happened to you but it has always really resonated with me um so where I'm at right now with that is like the like being a survivor I think for so long to me, that meant victim is like something bad happened to me. I was weak. I wasted years of my life. It's devastating. And it is. But eventually, like with healing work, I've gotten to this point of survivor being this term of um, almost a warrior or a rebirth, a phoenix, like all those kind of symbolic ideas of just like being down to the ashes and then like so much immense power to come back from that. So when I'm feeling discouraged or if I need motivation or inspiration to keep going and advocate for myself and others and do the work, like I just try to remember how powerful that was. And that kind of kills the shame a little bit for me is like, there's nothing to be shamed of. It's not your fault. This happened to you. Um, And there's so much power in you. And there's so much power in all of us, you know, so. Well, shame can't survive in the darkness. And, yeah. Um, you are clearly a, a warrior sister of mine. And I'm yeah. so proud of the yes. work you're doing. And the Thank you. You too. That you're shattering, like all the stigma. Um, I really resonated and thought it was powerful hearing you speak to sort of thinking you had a, a mental illness and sort of just that level of self yeah and yeah this confusion about sort of the symptoms you were experiencing and yeah of, I mean there's so much so much to say there and I know DSM actually doesn't even recognize complex trauma and yeah people in the field who don't don't really get trauma yeah. um ACEs is a, a survey assessing people's like level of adversity and mm-hmm. widely widely known but the research is been around forever and it's just like i think they bessel van der Kolk writes about it maybe in the yeah. intro just how slow the the field has been to yeah which they don't and I, I wonder like why people don't want to talk about childhood trauma or right trauma in general i know like incest and childhood sexual abuse is something i talk a lot about and it's not it's not really something that people even associate with domestic violence even, even though mm, it's yeah. often in families. Yeah, it's actually like, you can see that even on Instagram, um, which is, it's, Instagram shows you everything, I guess. But if you look up hashtag domestic violence, there is thousands, hundreds of thousands of posts. And if you look up hashtag like childhood sexual abuse or like survivor of childhood, something like that, childhood abuse, something like that, there's almost nothing. Um, so I think it's far less talked about. And I think it's like, but there's stigmas on all mental illness stuff, but I think the stigma on childhood trauma and things like that is so much higher than um, more, I don't know, stuff like, yeah. And I think it's because there's so much shame around it and feeling like, oh, it's somehow my fault that I was abused or something. And there's just so much language out there that's saying, why didn't you leave? And right. people don't understand that. It's like, you don't think you, you don't feel like you can, or if you're a child, you can't like, so we could, I get you. We could yeah. talk more. April right. Sexual Assault Awareness yeah. Month and Child Abuse Awareness Month and probably many other sibling awareness months yeah. and a ton of other yeah. things that people are celebrating. And right now we're in a pandemic and I definitely want to make sure I celebrate the survivors in my life. And you, yeah. are, you are one of them. So thank you for yeah. this, this day and week and month something that I will remember so I hope we can continue I'm honored Um, I know this is amazing remember that you can find Emmy and learn more about her incredible work on Instagram that's at blooming underscore forward and her blog blooming forward um, dot blog is that right yeah okay and I'll put the link in the in the show notes so thank you for tuning in and joining us today don't forget to visit rachelgrantcoaching.com and learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching to explore other resources on the site. 
and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. There's so much more to share. Thank you. Woo! Yes, thank you. <laughs>